Amen. It's good to see you all tonight. Glad that you're here. Rather be here than about any jail I've ever been in. So I'm, I'm really, really glad to see you here tonight. Good to be with you. I, uh, I want to ask a question to begin with tonight, and uh, hopefully you'll answer this honestly. And by the way, uh, I, I'm not at liberty to divulge where these things come from, but uh, I don't know if you all remember the commercial years ago, the, the little Taco Bell dog is looking for Godzilla, and he's looking for him, he's got a shoebox, you're going to put him in the shoebox, and then when he sees how big he is, he says, I think I need a bigger box. Well, I'm here tonight to tell you I needed a bigger bell. And someone has provided me with a really large bell. Now, it's got a, 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 a real neat tone. Let me tell you what this tone calls for. Amen. That's pretty easy. Let's try it again. Amen. I didn't ring the bell. See, y'all, y'all are Baptists. You can't follow instructions at all. Amen. Boy, that thing really rocks. Now, whoever did that, bless your heart for bringing that bell around. Because this morning, it was... I, it was harder to get an amen in here than, than, than well, I'm not going to make an illustrative remark here because somebody would surely get mad, and, and I've got to eat three more times while I'm here this week, and I want to make sure that those meals are still provided. I want to talk to you about what do you do after you have failed God? Anybody here besides this old preacher ever failed God? You know, you you can't feel any lower than to realize that God has asked you to do something, prepared you to do something, and you failed to get it done. My guess would be that most of the people in this room at one time or another have found themselves lower than a snake's belly in a wagon track saying, how did I get here? I have failed God. Now what do I do? I know men all over uh, middle America especially who are fighting that battle right now. Some have been in ministry, out of ministry, back into ministry, back out of ministry. But it's not just in the in clergy. This is not just a, a, a problem for the pulpit. It's also in, in people and, and the way that they, they handle failure. Uh, I, please don't be upset with me if this applies to you. I don't know anything particular, so I don't think I'm going to be uh, accused of that. But a lot of times today, folks just don't know where they want to fit in at. And every time that there's a, a, a problem that arises, instead of looking at themselves and the, the possibility they may have been at fault themselves, they decide just to move on to another place and see if it won't be better in that, that better ground. But let me tell you something. When you have failed God and you don't get it settled, you're going to fail God no matter where you go. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get away from that. No one better illustrates that in the word of God than Joshua. Joshua, as you know, was a very faithful servant of God. He and Caleb were only two reliable witnesses that went into the promised land. Joshua after the death of Moses, ended up leading Israel across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, where they immediately met some resistance. They had good success the first go at it. That's Jericho. You all know the story. 
When you got God doing the huffing and puffing, it doesn't take much to blow the walls down. Amen? And that's exactly what happened. But after that, there's a little city up on a hill. That little city is called Ai. Now, I don't know how you pronounce it, but when I see A and I, and, and I don't know the language that well, I just say it's Ai. So uh, that's, that's what it is for this message. That little city didn't have very many people in it. It certainly did not have the kind of, uh, of uh, army that Israel had. I Israel had a marching army. We know how many people were in that army. It was about 700,000 men that were out there ready to fight at any time. But they didn't take those 700,000 men and go up on that hill to little Ai because it was deemed to be very small. It wouldn't take very much to overcome it. But you knew, knew what happened, right? They got up there, and before very long, they found themselves running back down the hill. Now, if you've really read your Bible and you understand and studied this sort of stuff, you'll know that that was all the fault of a man named Achan, the son of Zabdi, the son of Carmi, who had decided that he was going to take something out of the, uh, uh, the, the spoil, if you will. Took it back and buried it in the floor of his tent. He was trying to hide it from Joshua. They were told not to take anything of the enemy, to destroy everything. And Joshua is a proud leader. Everywhere he has led, he has been successful. If you'll read through all of that wilderness wandering, you'll find Joshua many times right next to Moses. He was his, his, his confidant. He was his general, you might say, who was out there fighting the battles. He could whip anybody. Everywhere they went, they succeeded. I mean, they knew what victory was. But then came the first trip up to Ai and immediately... They tasted defeat. You know who took it harder than anyone else? Joshua. Not because of pride, but because he felt in his heart that he had failed God. Joshua gives us an exact formula for what to do after you have failed God. I want to try to preach about that tonight, but let me read for you first from Joshua chapter 8 verse 30 and following. It says, then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Now this is nearing the second attempt at Ai. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has lifted up any iron, and they offered Therein burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all of Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priest of the Levites, which bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord as well the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against the Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Now let's stop right there for a moment 
And we're going to come back to Joshua, and he's going to be our example. But let me make a few statements here that I think maybe it might be good for us to get settled in our own hearts before you hear the message. First is this, failure always stings. It really hurts. If you're trying to serve God and you fail God, it stings you. It's like a bee that you can't get rid of. It screams out at our inadequacies. And it shouts and shines a light on our misgivings. Failing God is another thing entirely from failing other people. You see, to sin against him is to know his judgment and his justice. And it is also to feel shame that drives a, a hole through our very souls. How do I know so much about failing God? I failed God. I, I'm not proud of that. I'm, I'm embarrassed by even saying that. But nonetheless, I have failed God. I know what it's like to fail God. It hurts. It hurts because of who you're failing. You're failing someone who owns you, who, who has settled the case already, sent his son to die on the cross for you. He's made it very easy for us to come to Christ. Jesus has already paid the price. Isn't that awesome? No matter what you run into in this life, if you're a child of God, the price has been paid. I don't know if that means anything to you, but someone like me who recognizes I still have a sin nature, it means a lot. Because every time I fail, I can point right back to those same scriptures that tell me that God will not get rid of me simply because I have failed him, but he did not tell me he would let me feel good about the failure. It hurts you. It, it, it causes you to hurt deep within. Joshua felt all those things, not because of what he had done, but as a result of those who were given into his care had done. He had led them. He was supposed to prepare them. And by the way, he did it and did it very well. The problem was the folks that were going up there said, we don't need that many people. We just need a few. And he'll let those few people lead him not to send the whole troop up there. That's why they were defeated the first time up the hill. He had tried to follow the best that he could. But the failures of one of his soldiers, this man named Achan, just that one soldier, had brought God's wrath upon all of Israel. Anytime somebody tells you that their sins do not affect you and the other people in your church with you, they're lying to you because it does. We've got the proof, amen? You can cause a church who is thriving, doing very well, to all of a sudden just seem to be failing in everything they're doing simply because there's sin in the camp. It's hidden away somewhere, but nonetheless, it's there. Now, I've told you already that Joshua had been a loyal trooper all through the entire exodus. And I believe that if we checked the record thoroughly, you'd find that he always fought valiantly. And he had accompanied Moses in, in some of his close encounters with God. Joshua had been there on the mountain when it all happened. When the law was given to start with. You can't get any closer than to be up there with Moses. Now, God chose him, and Moses obeyed, and he had been chosen to lead Israel 
as they displaced the people of the land. Hundreds and hundreds of cities lay before them. The second one, a small one, he failed. My first pastorate, I had a sting encounter with God. I, uh, I thought I had everything covered. I'd spent six months doing nothing but studying the word of God. That's all I did. I was ready for the first church that called me, and the first church that called me was a little bitty church, the Jackson Grove Baptist Church, and uh, it's, it's, it's out there, a place I think it's called Aiken Grove or something like that, but nonetheless, a little bitty place. When my wife and I went there, there were nine people in the church. My wife and I and our two children joined, and we were the fastest growing church in Illinois. 50% growth just like that. Man, that's good, amen? And things were going good. You couldn't ask for a better situation. But then I run afoul of some of the leadership in the church. It was growing too fast. You don't know what I mean? Anybody ever run into that? I was, I was approached by somebody who was a leader in the church and said, Brother John, we've got to slow this down. There's more of them than there are of us. I didn't know there were thems and uses in them churches. Amen? It's not good English, but it's good preaching. There's not supposed to be them and us. It's supposed to be us. But nonetheless, they thought those were the foreigners. They were coming against them. We had a revival scheduled. Some, some of you would probably know the man if I told you his name. I'm not going to. He's still mad at me for setting him on fire in high school. But nonetheless, it, 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 he showed up at one of my revivals and gave his testimony unannounced. That was, that was, that was fun. But anyway. Where was I at when I, when I got to that fire? Pardon? Go and have a revival. That's right. And I'll tell you who the guy is. You can go ask him. His name's Jim Beatty. Well, Mr. Jim, I don't think he, 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 he was suited for them or something. I don't know what the deal was. I didn't know too many preachers. He was one preacher that I knew. So I, I asked him if you want to come preach a revival. And I said, yeah, you betcha. And so I announced to the church, we're having a revival, and I announced the date. And then the deacons in the church said, we need to talk to you. And I said, what about? And they said, about this revival business. I said, do you realize we don't have any seats left in our little bitty church? I said, yeah, I, that's nice, isn't it? Like to have some more people. You know, we, could, we can stand some people around the walls if we have to. We might even have to build one of these days. But they weren't having anything to do with that. They said, there will not be any revival. None. Now, when you are young and you are headstrong, it's pretty hard to look me in the eye and say, ain't going to happen. Now, I'm not that way anymore. But a little bit, maybe. They said, we want to have a meeting. And we had a meeting. And they said, here's the deal, Brother John. This is in my own home. They said, we have decided that you can still bring some more people, new people out here, no revival, but we don't want any more town people. They got to be country people. I handled that so well. I, I, I said, I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to close my eyes, count to 10. 
And when I get to 10, anybody who is left in my house is going to be out of my house, and I'm going to make a new door with you. And I started counting. At about six, they started moving, and they got out. They went back and told the church what had happened. The church said, hey, you don't get rid of Brother John like that. No way. We're supposed to have a revival. So what they did was they came back and said, we've got another offer. And I just closed my eyes and said, one, two, three. And they left again. There wasn't any warning that time. They just left. But you know what? Sometimes you underestimate the, the opposition. And uh, <laughs> they were accurate in their assessment. They said, that young man has lost his temper at us. You ain't supposed to do that. How many of you know that? I left that church that very next Sunday. Never went back to it. I failed terribly. That church had grown from those nine people to about 60 people, and most of them were new converts that had been baptized in 18 months' time. And I let something like that ruin it all. And I was pretty proud of myself until I got alone with God. And then it started hitting. You thought you won? No. You ended up stopping my progress. I argued with him. Jake, I said, but wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, I, I, was, I was trying to keep progress going. And he said, and you didn't think I could do that. I could hear him in my spirit saying, you don't think I could handle that situation? You had to do it yourself? You blowed up like a big toad frog and told him, hit the road, Jack. And now you're here talking to me about it? I felt this tall. I felt like I had failed God as much as you could possibly fail God. And at that time, I did not know the formula for coming back to God after you had failed him. Instead of running away, like a lot of people do, what really needs to be done is you need to run back into the battle, back into the fray. But there's a formula for that. You see, if you follow the text with me tonight, I'll hopefully be able to show you what you ought to learn from his predicament. First thing, and every Christian in this room tonight needs to hear this. Never accept defeat. You may say, I blew it. You may say, that was a terrible, terrible mistake that I made. But you do not accept defeat. Because you have fallen, because you have stumped your toe, because you haven't done what God had called you to do, that is no way permission for you to continue in that, that, that posture, that mindset. Instead, you are supposed to say, he's still God. He's still able. I can get up from here and go forward and God will still be with me. If I do the right things, God always does the right thing. He started out by holding the guilty accountable. I don't know if you know this story well, but the law that they were under demanded death for the infractions. When they found out, they found out in an unusual way. Remember the story? They started marching all the people before Joshua so he could tell them who was the guilty party. Well, wouldn't it be something if preachers today had that kind of relationship with God? 
that God would tell them who's the, who's the problem. But nonetheless, that's exactly what happened in that case. And they began to march before him. They came by tribes. They came by families. They just kept narrowing them down, narrowing them down until they finally got to Achan. There he stood. Do you remember what Joshua told him? He said, tell me all about it, son. I, I, know, I know you probably didn't mean to, but tell me all about it. And boy, did he ever tell him all about it. He told him about what it looked like, and he just thought, man, surely I could get that, and I could bury it away, and, and, and he, he just went down the path, told him exactly how he fell. And Joshua said, okay, that's good enough. We've heard enough. Now kill him. Now destroy him. Achan, all of his family, all of his animals, everything destroyed. Just the way the Bible had told him. Now, in today's era, especially in this day of grace, we're not told to go out and kill people whenever they do wrong. So don't go out of here saying that's the way you handle things. No, that's not what I'm intimating at all. What I'm trying to tell you is simply this. That we are under grace. Much different than it was under the law. And the same failure right now would demand among us confession apology, and determination to avoid the same sin later. You know what our problem is by, by, by being modern Christians? We've forgotten how to confess our sins. We've forgotten how to get before a congregation and say, I have failed. You know how that little meeting up there at Ashbury has started out and, and spread again? It, it's the same way it happens every time. It happened back in the 80s. There at the same place. It's happening now. It's, it's spreading around some places. Starts with one man's confession that he had done something wrong. But we don't do that anymore. We'll wonder why we don't have revival and we've got people so proud they can strut sitting down. It's like, I can't tell anybody my failures and my faults even though the Bible tells us plainly to do that very thing. Confess your faults one to another. And we, we all fault. We all fail God at some point in time. But instead of being so proud about the fact that we can pull it off and keep on going down the road, what we need to do is stop right then and there and get right with our God. Let God know that we have confessed our faults, that we, we're ready to, to, to start anew with him. Otherwise, the same sin will happen later. It'll happen over and over and over. What you get away with or you think you get away with is just a pathway for more of the same. Here's what Joshua knew that he had done. He had allowed plans to be made to go again. Even though he had failed terribly the first time, this time he was to go in complete obedience. Remember second service today? Optimum obedience. Do it what, what God says, the way God says to do it. So the second trip up the mountain was a lot different. Can I share something with you? You all need to understand that when you fail God, there's another mountain ahead of you, but you need to take that trip differently than the first one. If you failed in the first one, make sure you don't seem to make the same mistake over and over and over again. This time they went full strength. This time they went and laid an ambush. This time AI got the worst of the deal terribly. This time AI got wiped out because they did it God's way instead of their way. Amen?
Complete obedience. That's the way he went back up the hill. You know, the first trip up the mountain was made to show how strong Israel was. All those fighting men, they had just numbered them. They knew exactly how many soldiers they had. What a force, a fighting force. is unreal. They didn't know defeat. They had not been defeated in all that trip. Every place they came to, whenever they were denied entry, they would just whip the enemy. They won everywhere. So they just assumed that they'd be able to have that very same kind of, of outcome going up to Ai. But the second time they went up there, they didn't go to show their strength. They went up there to glorify God. Boy, wouldn't that be something if we all could just learn that lesson? If we do what we do to glorify God, he is bound by his own word to bless what you do. You got to have that right intention. You, you've got to do it his way. A lot of us have been up the mountain more than two times, three times, four times and more. Sometimes we're pretty hard-headed. I think all the people who gathered themselves in Baptist churches around America are a, a part of the hard-headed society. We just, we, we fail and we fail and we fail and, and we've got this one doctrine that we all cling to and I love the doctrine. It's perseverance of the saints. I really do believe that we're, if God saved you, you're going to stay saved. Amen. Amen? But don't ever let that be something that keeps you from starting up the hill again to do it the right way. The second church I was in, I said, that'll never happen to me again. Not like that. <laughs> you know what? God will test you. Now, no names because it's close to here. I pastored after that the Blooming Grove Baptist Church. And, and I had an encounter or two with some folks who really didn't think I knew very much at all. And you know what? They were right. And so the first time one came to me and said, I think you're getting ready to make a mistake, preacher. I said, well, let's sit down here and talk about it. Tell me what you think I'm doing and what you think I ought to do better. Really? I said, yeah, really. Let's sit down here and talk about it. Well, that was novel. <laughs> you know, wasn't done very often. And you know what? This person really did have some really good ideas that, that I needed to listen to. And that person could see that I was headed down a path where I was going to have another wreck. And he was trying to help me out. Taught me a valuable lesson that I've, I've never left off. Never respond in anger. No matter what's happening around you, do not respond in anger. If you're going to respond, you pray to get the Lord on, on, the, on the track of what needs to happen. And, and he'll take care of that. He does not think that you need to take care of it. Amen? Amen. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. And that means God will take care of it. Hello, y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? That was terrible. That was terrible. Second thing he did, Jake, was he offered a sacrifice. Joshua offered a sacrifice according to the law of Moses. In the 31st verse there I read for you, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. 
Notice what they sacrificed. Peace offerings. It's saying, I've, I've messed up. But God, I want to make peace. I want to do it right. I, I, I don't want to go down this path again. They sinned against God and his wrath had to be appeased because Israel couldn't stand before their enemies with that sin among them. Now, sacrifice is still required. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you agree. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be right. You're going to be wrong at the end of the day. Uh, that's not arrogance, by the way. That's just trying to make sure I don't have to use that bell very much. Sacrifice is still required. The difference is the type of sacrifice. God says, I don't want any more bulls and goats and stuff like that. Isn't that what he told uh, Saul and his followers? He's sick of that stuff. He wants something else. So that sacrifice that they had always used was something had to be slaughtered and presented to God to make peace with God. Now the same principle is in place now. Except Jesus has become that sacrifice. Ephesians 2.13, listen to it carefully. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Woo, you like that? He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. His sacrifice for us was a peace offering. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I fail God, I've got this one word that I use a lot, and, and sometimes it makes other people angry, but I, I, I don't know if it, I don't, God's never told me not to do it. But when I, I'm confessing, I like to say sometimes, but God. You say, but wait a minute. What do you mean by but God? You know what I did? I, I, I did a search one time to find out how many times that's in the Bible. Can't remember exactly, but it's a bunch. But God. Things are terrible, but God. This has happened, but God. You know, sometimes we just need to understand that we have a peace offering with God. It's a sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. So we can sometimes fail God and then say, but God. God who loved me. God who loved you. He sent his son, Jesus, to the cross to die for your sins, to make a propitiation for your sins, a payment for that. He has already done the deal. Peace has been made. But you have to get on your knees before him and say, I want that peace in my heart. I want you to give me that peace that, that, that passes all understanding. Now, having said all that, let me take you to point number three. And uh, this is not going to be quite as quick as this morning's second service, but I don't have anything to make up for tonight. So you just hang in there for a moment. He rewrote the law of Moses on those stones. Verse 32 says, And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. Now without possession of God's word, people soon make their own rules. What sounds good becomes the word. 
We're in a society right now where that is the driving force behind most of the people on this planet. If it sounds good, okay. If it doesn't, no way. Do you know why there's so much hatred and so much division in this world right now? It's because we can't get ourselves straightened out when it comes to following the law of Christ. If we Christians would just do what God's word tells us to do, we would soon get enough light in this world that darkness wouldn't have any place to hide. There's enough of us. We could do that, but we don't do it because we haven't learned yet what to do when we fail God. Jake, I'm, I'm as sure as I can be that in churches all over America, the, the pews or the seats are full of folks who literally are sitting there thinking, now, I, I failed God terribly. I'll never be able to make it up to God. How, how am I going to handle this? And that's the worst attitude you can have in a church to start with. You've got to realize that you're a victor in Christ. God didn't, didn't save you to become a, a victim, but instead a victor. We're supposed to be on the winning side, amen? How many of you read the back of the book? We do win. You can get excited about that. We do win. Hallelujah, we win. There is something that jumps off the pages here, and it's this. Knowing what God really said is necessary to truly obey God. You cannot be biblically illiterate and say you understand God. You got to know what the word says. You got to order your life according to the word of God. Achan found out the hard way when he decided a little bit of what God had forbidden was okay. He said, I just saw a little of this and a little of that. It wasn't big. Boy, isn't the devil good? Now, I don't mean good as in good versus bad. I mean, isn't he slick? He knows how to get it done. Just a little bit. It won't hurt you. Why don't you flip on that little channel over there? You know the channel where they show people half naked all the time, sometimes full naked, and when the language is terrible? Why don't you just, just or, or go to that movie where they say the language is just a little bit bad in one or two spots? That's the way the devil works. Little by little, he numbs you to that. And before very long, you've written yourself a new law. Joshua wrote it on the stone. This is what God said. The reason he wrote it in stone was, you need to know that's the way God gave it, and that's the way God demands it to stay. It is in stone. You've heard that phrase, I'm sure. That's where it comes from. Let me try to run down this road for just a little bit. God's word has never been subject to the opinions of his creation. I, I get arguments from people like you would not believe. But you don't understand this is our new society. Everybody's doing this. Well, everybody's not doing this. First off, that's a lie. Not everybody's involved. Secondly, anything that the world connives cannot be good for you as a Christian. You say, boy, you're wanting to go back to a long time ago, aren't you, preacher? We didn't do too bad. Somewhere back about 1820, a bunch of people come out here on this hillside and built a church. They didn't do bad. You're out here tonight because what they did, they weren't ignorant people. They weren't people that did not know. 
But go back and read the records and what you'll find are they were people who believed that this was the inerrant, infallible word of God. There was no admixture of error in it and they preached it just that way. And I really believe we'd get back to doing it just that way. It would have a, a, a tremendous effect on what God's people are trying to do in this day and time. Now listen to me. God's word as I've already said, it's not subject to somebody's opinions because you see there's so many of those opinions. And if you think I'm lying to you, just look into different translations. Right now, how many of you know about the Bethel group? You know the Bethel group? Anybody? You don't? I forgot where I'm at. <laughs> this is Hamilton County, right? I don't mean that as in if you all are dumb. I just mean right now technology is just getting here. All right. Listen, there's a group out there that are, what, what are they're, they're, in, they're in an organization called NAR, N-A-R, the New Apostolic Revolution or Reformation. They believe that their pastor is an apostle who has been appointed to appoint other apostles. And through those apostles, they will rule this world and bring the kingdom of God in from right here within this world. Everything about that statement and belief is wrong. Everything about it is wrong. It's not what the Bible says. It, it, it's, it's craziness is what it is. But yet I think it's this weekend. There's a guy in the largest church in Springfield from that church. The pastor of that church is there to bring renewal to an Assemblies of God church. Now, I'm not Assemblies of God, but if I was, I probably wouldn't be anymore, especially in that one if the pastor was letting that come in. You say, oh, well, that, that's just terrible stuff. No, you don't understand. It expands greatly. They've got a new version of the Bible. It's called the Passion Bible. There's one thing wrong with it. It's full of mistruths. It, it's got a lot of stuff that's been left out. It's got a few things been added in. It's not like some of the translations that we looked at in former years. This one definitely is, is, is designed to spread the apostolic belief that it's still alive today. You know what you have to do to be an apostle? You have to have seen the Lord alive. Now I run into people every once in a while who tell me they've seen the Lord alive. But friend, you can't do that unless you go to heaven. Because he is seated at the right hand of the Father even still. And will be until he stands one day at the Father's command and, and hears, son, go get my children. Then he's going to come. Then Jesus will be back on this earth. But right now it's the Holy Spirit of God that's living in you. That's God on this earth right now. But yet they, they just blow past all that. Now get this. See, see if this will help you a little bit. It'll make some people mad, but it's okay. Hillsong. Some of the best written songs that are out there right now, that's, that belongs to Bethel Group. That's their work. And if you really get to studying it, you will find little bitty things just like the media does, these folks know how to do it as well. Put it in just a little at a time until pretty soon you accept it. Songs are great. <laughs> They've got good tunes. They're written well. But they all got that little bit of something there. You say, Brother John, are you sure about this? Oh, yeah, I'm old. 
I don't have much to do except to stick my nose on the internet and say, whoa, this stuff is good. You'd be surprised what you can find on there. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about things that will help you out sometimes. And if you really want to know how bad it's getting, that Bible has, has been right near the bestseller list for a while. Recently, they had to take it down a little bit. As a matter of fact, they had to remove one phrase. Let me tell you what it was. It, that one phrase started out, the 12 original apostles. So what's wrong with that? Original implies that they're not the only ones. There's going to be more, right? But that's not true. So once they were called on that, they removed that. But they've found ways to interject it in other places. I've said all of that so that you'll know this. The opinions of men do not matter to God. Whatever they write, that's on them. There is a real warning at the end of this book that says to add to the words of this book is a curse. They need to be careful about doing that sort of thing. But yet, they don't realize that God is serious about his word. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in any wise pass from the law until all of it is fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like God takes the word serious? I would think so. Amen? Now, lastly tonight, how many of you are always glad to hear me say lastly? I think you may have forgotten. When I say lastly, I'm, I, I'm talking about it's going to last and last and last. Lastly, I, I, that's an adjective, isn't it, or something like that. It just sort of, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? No, I'm not going to do that to you. I told you already he, he rewrote the, the, the law, but then he made sure that all who were under his leadership knew what the law said. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Are you a leader in the church somewhere? Do people look to you to teach them? You cannot teach them what you do not know. And you cannot know unless you know what the Word of God says about any kind of subject. It's an awesome book. God wrote that thing in such a way that no matter what your question is, God's got the answer for it in that book. You know, the Bible says here in 834 of Joshua, and afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversing among them. Now you know what that says? For the little children. And the women who weren't considered really to be equal with the men at that time, not in any way. Men were supposed to be everything. Yet women couldn't even sit on the main floor in the synagogue. 
That's how bad it was. But Joshua said this is so important that all of them need to receive it. Any of them that can understand the slightest little bit about what it means to be a child of God. You know, first off, this begins in the home. Are you all ready to listen for just a moment? Listen intently. I won't ring the bell. A man's wife and children should hear more instruction in spiritual matters at home than anywhere else. That means, men, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your home. You say, my wife is not very good at following my leadership. Well, then you need to get in the book and sit down with her and say, this is what the word says. You're going to take your opinion or God's opinion. And then you're going to have to be like Jesus. I didn't promise never to ring the bell. You're going to have to promise to be like Jesus. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Doesn't it? We love to quote that, right? But doesn't it also say, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In, a, in, in, in plain English, he's saying this. He's saying, you love your wife, just like Jesus loved the church with everything, ready to die for her. You know what? Ladies, I think your husbands would be good leaders if you would demand that of them. Just last week, I got a call from somebody who's having a lot of trouble in their church. And they called for some advice, and, and I couldn't give them advice because it was just, uh, it was against my slight little bit of ethics I've got to do that. I won't go any further than that. But I, they, they said something on the phone that just blew me away. Said, uh, we, we've been praying about this. And said, we, we, we got in bed last night. And so we both lay there wide, eyes wide open for a long time. And then this was a lady. She said, my husband took my hand and said, let's pray and ask God what to do. That may not do anything for you. But boy, it rang my bell. Men, you need to be godly husbands that instruct your family at home. Your children ought not be learning everything they know from the world. Don't, don't trust that. I don't care where you live in America. Don't trust that. They need to be learning from whoever the leader is in that home. And that's, that's you, sir. So you just imagine with me for a moment what our world would be like if men were teaching at home in the way that they should. Hello? Every position in this church or any church like it is critically important to this purpose. It's the job of the Sunday school teacher to let his or her students know what God's word truly says. You should never walk into a classroom without being fully prepared. Unless you just don't take it serious. Because there is the opportunity outside the home to learn 
to learn how to be the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife, the right kind of child, the right kind of parent. It's certainly the job of the pastor to present the word in a clear manner, one in which the listeners learn and understand. Not just hear it, understand it. And this includes those who are not yet a part of the church. You see, they need to know what it says. Even if they can't fully understand it right now, they need to know what the word says. It's the only way they can know. Did you know at one time, for years in our convention, there were more people saved in Sunday school than there were in church services? People used to make evangelism a part of their class. They'd invite lost people and they'd tell people this is what Jesus did for us. I don't think it would hurt us to go back to it. Amen? Well, it's the only way that some of them will ever know the word is to be taught. So when you have failed God, do what Joshua did. First of all, he, he was quick to hand out the discipline that was needed. Then he re rewrote the law of Moses on those stones. He made sure that all who were under the leadership knew what the law said. We're, we're, we can't do any better than to do what he did and offer God a sacrifice. That is, my friend, what is needed once you have failed God. Listen to Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And shall, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach except they be sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's your argument. Teach it. Whether they're believers right now or not, Teach them what the word says. It's very plain. 1017, read it again at home. Study it. You'll find I just told you the truth. Here's where I'm at. I'm at invitation time. A lot of failures. I shared one of mine with you. I could have shared a hundred with you probably. Unfortunately, my memory really does well when it comes to things I failed God in. And I'm ashamed of that. Always will be. And I wish somehow that I could make reparations for what has happened. But that's not what God demands. What God demands is that I get up. Begin to shake that old person off. And say now I'm going to come back to God in such a way that I don't go through this thing again. That's what you do when you have failed God. I've talked to people all over Missouri in a lot of different churches 
and, and without fail, I'll run into some folks who will say, I failed God so bad, there's no way I could ever go back. To which I usually reply, reply you are exactly who God says that he'll come back and pick up. The 90 and 9, you do remember, right? You go after that one, and he'd go after you. No matter what your failure has been, do it God's way. That's what you do after you have failed God. Maybe you've been sitting in these pews for a long time knowing that you're not truly a child of God, not truly saved. That is you. Right now, you've probably already consumed enough of, of the gospel to know that there's something missing in your life. This man would not let you by that way, I'm sure. He's a great preacher and he does a good job in, in delivering the word of God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Invitation is like this. If you're lost, I'm going to be right down here. You come right to me and I'll promise you the word of God is plain. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That means he doesn't want you going to hell. He wants you going to heaven. And so tonight, if you just come to where I am, I promise you, I'll show you in the word of God that you can know that you know that you know that you're a child of his. And if you're here tonight and you're already a Christian, but you failed God maybe many times, right now tonight, would you consider humbling yourself before a righteous God and kneeling in this altar tonight and saying to him, God, I have failed you, but I want to do the right things. I'm getting up and I'm starting over again. And I want you with me, not against me. I promise you, you'll get God's attention just that way. And he'll not fail you. He will come to where he is called. So would you stand tonight, please? Brother Jamie and, and Janet, is she up? here she comes. There's, they're going to be playing and singing for you here in just a moment. But you don't have to wait on that. Right now, in this quietness of the moment, would you come, find yourself a place, and say, God, I know I failed, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it God's way. Would you come right now as they begin? Adults, I want you to notice something while she plays. There's adults down here in this altar tonight. But the great number of folks that are down here are teenagers. I think they see things a little more clearly than what we ever give them credit for. They support each other. They pray for each other. And they really listen. And they let it apply. I, I don't want to believe that, that these teenagers have a closer connection with God than some of the adults in this room tonight. So whatever you do, whether you come here in this altar to do it or not, right where you stand tonight, if you want revival, just listen to me now. When you fail God, you get up and go again. Do it his way this time. That's the, that's the only relief that you can have is to get up and go again. So right where you are, will you pray that you'll be able to do that? Or here in this altar, would you come and pray? Still folks praying. If you're lost tonight, you're not sure you would go to heaven if you died, 
You don't have to go home like that. Just come right here where I'm at. I promise you. We can show you in the Word. You can know that you're saved. You don't have to have doubt. So would you come tonight if you need Jesus? Come tonight if you failed Him. And you want to assure Him that you're going to go the rest of the way with Him. Altars are still open. You come.